Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons podcast. This sermon features teaching pastor Timothy Atik and was recorded on Sunday, August 1st. Thanks for tuning in. If you're in the area, join us next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And if you're a part of FaithBridge Online, join us at faithbridge.org slash live and be sure to download the FaithBridge app to stay connected on the go. Here's T.A. Hey, my name is Timothy Atik, and I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries in College Station at Texas A&M University. I'm so glad to be back at FaithBridge. It's great to see you. I always love the opportunity to hop out of College Station and here to spring to be with you. We have a really good mutual friend, and that is Ben Stewart. I love Ben. Ben is a close friend and one of the greatest sources of wisdom that I have in my life, and I will never forget a little over five years ago, sitting at breakfast with Ben and him sharing with me, he said, hey, I'm leaving Breakaway, and I want you to become the next director, and that was one of the sweetest moments for me in my ministry career up to that point. Uh, the, the thing that I want you to know is while Ben has been part of one of those sweet moments of my life, one of the harder things in ministry has been following Ben Stewart at Breakaway. And the reason that I say that is because people love to tell me how much they love Ben Stewart. Like, I feel like part of my ministry calling is to field compliments for Ben Stewart. And Ben and I have talked about this. We have joked about it. But I just want to give you some examples. I mean, it is humorous, and I promise I'm good. I don't need you to come up afterward and be like, you're good too. That's not what I need from you. (laughs) It's just humorous. Like, I remember this student coming up to me and just saying, nobody speaks to me like Ben Stewart does. I mean, you're good, but Ben Stewart. I was like... Great. Back in April, I traveled all day to get out to Clemson University, and I I preached my heart out. And after I had preached, I sat down, and this girl walked up to me. She bent down. She was like, Texas A&M? I was like, yeah. She was like, Ben Stewart? What do you think about him? I was like, I think I love Ben. She was like, I think he's great. Like, that's great. This summer, I was speaking at a camp, and the first day I was there, three different people talked to me about Ben, and then later in the week, I got this text from a, fa- from a childhood friend. We don't keep in touch often. This was the text I got from him. Me to Aggie camp counselor staying at my house. Hey, do you know that Timothy guy? Here's what the counselor said. Yeah, he's pretty good, but Ben Stewart was better. That's the, that's the text. Like, this has been my life. Like, so I tell you that to just say this morning, I, I think it'd be good for us to talk about, hey, how do, we, how do we deal with other people's success? And that might feel like a very narrow thing to talk about, like kind of a niche thing. But I wonder if it's something that we all deal with. Like, how do you deal with other people's success? It might be at work where you look at someone else and someone else just everything always goes right for them. Like, they're the one who always gets the promotion. They're the one who always closes the deals. They're the ones that everybody just loves. Like, they they have a magnetic personality and everyone's always drawn to them. Or maybe you look at someone else and you're like, their marriage is always just amazing. Like, do they ever struggle? Do they ever fight? It's always 
awesome all the time, or you look at someone and you look at their kids and you're like, all of their kids are amazing. Like, how does that even work? Like, all of their kids are really good looking and really successful, and they never have any issues with their kids. Or that person has the house, or that person has the car, or they seem to have all of the vacations, and you look like how how do we deal with other people's success? What I want to do is I want to step into the life of David. When I was uh, here back in April, I told you that each time that I'm here over the next year, we're just going to be journeying through the life of David together. I want to step back into the life of David this morning, and I just want to look at a story that's going to help us navigate dealing with other people's success. And what we're going to see from this story is you really have three options. The first option is comparison. The second option, what comparison will give birth to, is rejection. And then the third option is celebration. So the first option is comparison. The second option, which comparison gives birth to, is rejection. The third option is celebration. I'm just going to show you my cards. The goal is celebration. So if you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, we can definitely help you out with that and give you one, and it will also be on the screens. 1 Samuel chapter 18, where we are finding ourselves in the life of David is the chapter after David uh, defeats Goliath. So if you're not familiar uh, with kind of David's journey or if you're new to the scriptures, David is going to become the second king ever of the nation of Israel. The first king was a guy named Saul, and Saul was a very mediocre king just because he was not wholly committed to doing what God wanted him to do. He was a mediocre king. God basically told him he was a mediocre king, and God informed Saul that he had intentions to replace him with a better king. And we now know that king to be David. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see Saul, the the king of Israel, go to battle with a giant named Goliath. And what's Saul's response? It's fear. David shows up. He's a teenage kid with a sling and a stone. He moves forward in faith, conquering the giant. We are picking it up right after that story. So here's what it says, 1 Samuel 18, I'm going to read you verses 1 through 16. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David in his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that's Goliath, the women 
came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of thousands, and He went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him, but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So all eyes on me, this really isn't a chapter about David, it's really a chapter about how people responded to David's success. We see Um, three different people, we see Jonathan, we see the women of Israel, and we see Saul, who's the current king. Just so you know, Saul and Jonathan are related. Jonathan is Saul's oldest son. We're going to look at how uh, Jonathan and Saul each related to David's success. They have two very different responses, even though they're from the same household. Okay, Saul is going to show us what it looks like to respond to people's success with comparison and rejection. Jonathan is going to show us celebration. But what we do find out about David in this chapter is that he had tons of success. The favor of God was upon him and people loved him. I mean, listen again to verse 14. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. Verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David, okay? The first response that we see to David's success was comparison, and we see this from Saul. Let me just tell you what comparison is. I'm going to give you spiritual definitions for each of these responses. Comparison is ranking God's will for your life against others, that's what comparison is. It's, it's looking at the lot that God has given you, God's will for your life, and comparing it or ranking it to other people's um, lives. You look at God's will for other people and you rank your God's will for your life to theirs. And we see Saul compare himself to David in verses, it really in verse eight. What does it say? I mean, the women are singing, Saul comes back, and they're singing. What does it say? Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? You see that comparison there. Saul is comparing Let me just give you two insights into comparison. I've talked about comparison here before, so for some this will just be a reminder. But let's just be clear. The first thing that you need to remember about comparison is this. Comparison feeds on er and as. Okay, no one's saying amen to that. Let's just, let's unpack what I'm telling you. Okay, what I'm telling you is the thing that nourishes comparison is 
is er and as. Okay, so you think about the story of, that we're reading here. Uh, Saul and David are coming back from uh, war, and women come out of the town singing songs and playing tambourines, and the story is clear who they're singing to and who they're playing for. Do you know who it was? Saul. They weren't singing songs or playing tambourines to David. They were playing and singing to Saul, okay? Men, let me ask you, when's the last time a woman played the tambourine for you? (laughs) Never. Why? Because you're not significant enough for a woman to play the tambourine for you. Saul was. So when I, the reason I tell you that is because we need to be clear when these women are singing songs, they are declaring that Saul is a conquering king. The problem is Saul compares the praise they give to David to the praise they give to him. Saul didn't just want to be great, he wanted to be greater. And that's where we can get into trouble. One pastor talks about our need for what he calls the er factor. We need to look at the people around us and we need to know that we are smart, er, funny, er, skinny, er, pretty, er, wealthy, er, godly, er, successful, er, than the people around us. I mean, I would imagine some people hear that and you're like, okay, you are... I, I should not have come to church this morning because this is too convicting. You battle the earth factor and then others of you say, that's really not me. For you, it might be the need for the, the as factor. Like you've established in your mind what is society's uh, standard of excellence and you've decided, you look around at the people around you and you just say, you know, if I could just be as successful as that person. If I could just be as skinny as that person, if I could just be as wealthy as that person, if I could just be as godly as that person, then I would truly be enough. Then I would truly be valuable. Then I would truly be something. See, comparison feeds on er and as. You know what the problem is with each of these things? The problem with the er factor is that while you will always have the er factor over some people, some people always have the er factor over you. And if you haven't encountered that yet, just wait longer. You know what the problem is with the as factor? Perfection is an illusion. We've got a stack of Christmas cards on our kitchen table. It's a reminder to just pray for different families. We're not that great at doing it. So don't hear that and be like, wow, they're so spiritual. We've taken months off at times. But anyway, just look at people's Christmas cards. That's probably... There's no reality to Christmas pictures. There's nothing true about them. Everyone's like loving and smiling. And what's happening on either side of that button being pressed on the camera? I know for me, I'm all over my kids. Stand up. Stop messing around with each other. Stop tilting your head a weird way. Look at the camera. Like they're... It's, it's not reality. Perfection is an illusion. So you might be looking at someone saying, you know, if I could just be as whatever as that person. What if that person is looking at someone else saying, you know what, if I could just be as whatever as that person. Perfection is an illusion. See, comparison feeds on er and as. The second reality I need you to know about comparison is that comparison has terrible side effects. 
I mean, terrible side effects. You know, you know those uh, drug commercials that come on? They're like a, it's like a montage of clips of people like barbecuing in their backyard or giving their dog a noogie or sitting in a bathtub on a beach next to their significant other who's also in a bathtub. And it's like, where those bathtubs come from? <laughs> like, did you bring those? Did you just find them and get into them? But then at the end of those commercials, there's always a soft, soothing voice that tells you the side effects, right? It's like, talk to your doctor before using this medication. It can cause nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, demon possession, or even death. And it's like, that's, those are the effects of the medicine. Like, I just want to be that soft, soothing voice that tells you, hey, comparison has terrible side effects. If you don't believe me, I mean, what do we see in verse 8? What does it say? And Saul was very angry. Verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day on. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. I mean, we compare like we breathe. You've been comparing walking into church. You compared, you might have compared your car to someone else's car or what you're wearing compared to someone, else, someone else's clothes or even how you're worshiping compared to how someone else is worshiping. But if you let comparison linger, you're going to experience competition, pride, envy, anxiety, exhaustion. I mean, comparison has terrible side effects. We compare because we want to know if we, how valuable we are in this world. Like, we just want to know that we matter. So we look around at the people around us to know, like, how do we measure up? And comparison only dies at the foot of the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ not only declared his infinite value, but he gave us our value. So we look at the cross, and what the cross declares is that we are worth the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to look around at other people to determine how you stack up or if you are good enough or worthy enough of people's love, acceptance, or approval. But if you're not careful, you're gonna see other people's success and you're gonna compare. Your second option is not gonna be comparison, it's gonna be rejection. That, that's ultimately if comparison lingers in your life long enough, comparison will give birth to rejection. When I say rejection, here's what I really mean. Rejection is saying no to God's will for your life and others. That's what rejection is. It's, it's looking at God's will for your life and saying, I don't want this. I say no to this. Or you look at God's will for someone else's life and you say, I don't want that for them either. Not that we would ever have these honest of conversations with God. I'm just saying this is how our actions show what is really going on in our hearts. This is what happened with Saul. I really want you to see what's happening with Saul. In verse eight, what does it say? It says, Saul says, and what more can he have but the kingdom? So just to fill you in on the story, I told you at the beginning, uh, Saul was a mediocre king. God basically tells him that. 
And God tells Saul, I am going to replace you with a better king. And so Saul now is realizing David might be the guy. He might be my replacement. This guy might be actually the second in line. He might be coming after me. He might try and take the kingdom from me. And so what does Saul do? Verse 11, Saul hurled the spear for he thought I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul is trying to kill David. Verse 13, so Saul removed David from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. This wasn't a promotion. This was Saul going a different way about it. And so what he did was he put David in charge of a large group of people thinking, you know what, maybe he just got lucky killing that giant, but you know what, Maybe he's not a very good leader. Let's see how he does leading a thousand people because if he's just a mediocre leader, nobody's really gonna like him anymore or maybe he'll just get killed in battle. Do you see what Saul's doing? He's saying no to God's will for his life because what's God's will for Saul's life? It's for him to fade out and for David to fade in. And Saul is saying, no, God, I I don't want your will for my life. And you know what? I don't want... Your will for David's life. Your will for David is to become my replacement. And I reject that. I don't want that for him. That's what rejection is. It's saying no to God's will for your life and for others. Now, how would this play out in our lives? Because you might hear this and be like, well, I don't really struggle with, so of all the, the three points TA is talking about today, I don't think rejection applies to me. Well, rejection comes in the form of resentment. You resent other people's successes because you believe that their success makes you a failure. So you look at someone's promotion, you look at someone's car, you look at someone's house, you look at their vacations, you look at their job title, and you begin to believe that their success says something about your failure. And so subtly you resent them. You kind of become their frenemy, like they're your friend and at the same time they bother you. And you can't put your finger on why they bother you. It's just that you're bothered by the good that they have going on in their lives. And if you're honest, you resent God for not giving you more of what they have. That's rejection. It's saying, God, I I reject the job you gave me. I, I reject the, the level of comfort that you've given me when you've given that person more. Another way that rejection manifests itself is with a tightened grip. It's a tightened grip, it's, it's micromanagement. You, you micromanage everything. You need everyone to know that something is yours or you need the credit for it being yours and you won't be able to work with anyone more gifted than you. And you'll weed out anyone who is exceptionally talented or gifted because you'll actually feel threatened by them. You won't see their contribution to the business as an asset. You'll see it as a liability personally for you. And so let me just ask you, do you struggle with rejection? 
because that's another way that we can respond to people's success. The, the third option is celebration, and that's where we want to be this morning, and, and Jonathan is the one who shows us what celebration looks like. Who was Jonathan? I already shared it with you, but Jonathan was Saul's oldest son. The reason that that is important is because that tells us that Jonathan was actually the one who was in line for the throne. Like Jonathan should have been king after Saul. So if anyone should have felt threatened by David, it should have been Jonathan. But what do we see Jonathan doing? What did we see him doing in the first six verses? We see him develop a fond affection for David and we see Jonathan giving David his armor and his sword. Because you know, you know what that is really symbolizing? It's symbolizing, you know what? This armor, this sword, it's, it's royalty. Like it is, it is in the king's household and I'm giving it to you, David. It's as if Jonathan is stripping himself of the throne and saying, I recognize God's will for your life that throne doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God, and if God is giving it to you, then I'm with you. He is, he is seeing God's will being played out in David's life, and he celebrates it. He is committed to David reaching his fullest potential as a leader, and so what does he do? He resources David. And so let me just let me just tell you three things about celebration that I hope will be helpful for you. If you want to just take a step towards celebrating people's success, then instead of seeing people for their success, just see them for their stewardship. You understand what I'm saying? Instead of seeing someone for their success, see them for their stewardship. See everything that they have as being given to them by God to give glory to God. And so ultimately, they will have to give an account to God for how they stewarded what God gave them. And so, for example, with me, with Ben Stewart, I look at Ben, I believe he is one of the greatest communicators in our nation today. God has given him a fascinating mind that is able to understand deep theological truths, and he's able to unpack them in a brilliant way. And praise God that he put Ben in a place like our nation's capital to have influence there and to lead people. But, but Ben has been entrusted with things by God that he will give an account to God for. So one of the best things I can do is pray for Ben and encourage him and celebrate what God is doing in his life. And here's the reality. God has given me things to steward. He's given you a mind and a body and certain gifting and a voice to steward. And one day each of us will stand before God and give an account for what we did with what he gave us. So if that's true, we don't have time to sit here and compare or reject. We only have time to, to put our hand to what God has called us to do and encourage others along the way. Another good thing to realize is this, the death of who you are supposed to be is often the birth of who you were made to be. The death of who you are supposed to be is often the birth of who you were made to be. At some point, Dave, Jonathan let the, the dream of being king die. 
At some point, Jonathan just decided, that's not my throne. And so the death of who he thought he was supposed to be, it became the birth of who he was made to be. I don't know who people have told you you are supposed to be. I don't know who you have told yourself you're supposed to be. You might have told yourself that you are supposed to be CEO or you are supposed to be uh, the, the greatest dad or mom on the planet or you are supposed to be uh, extremely wealthy or you are supposed to be whatever, but it's possible that the death of that dream of who you are supposed to be will become the birth of who you were made to be. And I had to deal with that when I came to Breakaway. When I moved to Breakaway, because of the, the people who went before me, I told myself that the expectation on me was to be one of the wisest, most strategic, most godly, most creative, most intelligent, most interesting, most captivating leaders, authors, communicators, and pastors in the nation. And honestly, the death of who I was supposed to be, it was the birth of who I was made to be. God hasn't called me to be anyone except Timothy Atik. He hasn't asked me to fill anyone's shoes. And I just wonder if there's joy waiting for us when we just say, you know what, I don't have to be just like that person. I don't have to get to where they got. If that's not what God has for me. Like there's, there's joy for Jonathan in just celebrating David and living in what God had for him. And you know what the good news was for Jonathan? Here's the third thing for celebration. Others don't have to lose in order for you to win. Others don't have to lose in order for you to win. Jonathan didn't lose by not going to the throne. It's the opposite. The majority of the time now that pastors give a message on friendship, do you know where they turn? First Samuel 18. And they point to Jonathan as the poster child for what friendship should look like. If you are going to be a good friend to someone, you study Jonathan. Jonathan is our example. He won. There is more, there is plenty of room in the kingdom of God for people to flourish in who God has called them to be. There's not just one winner in the kingdom of God. There's enough room in this world for every single person to live a significant life in the eyes of God. If you're chasing significant in the eyes of man, I can't help you this morning. But significant in the eyes of God that is available to everyone here today. Just remember what God truly celebrates. What, one of the best things you can do is just identify what does God celebrate? Because if that's what God celebrates, that's what I should make my life about. The scripture is clear what God celebrates. When you get to heaven, what do you expect to hear from God? Do you think God's gonna be like, oh, well done, good and famous servant? Nope. What about this? Well done, good and wealthy servant. Nope. What's he celebrate? He tells us, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you being faithful to steward the mind, the mouth, the gifting, the talent, the body that God has given you to steward.
Because ultimately, you won't give an account for that person's life that sits next to you at work, but you will give an account for your life. Be faithful to do what God's called you to do. So what do we do with a talk like this? Let me just give you three quick things to do. Before you leave this morning, number one, before you leave, let me just invite you, even as we sing together in a moment, sit with the Lord and just ask him to reveal any relationships in your life where you have given into comparison or rejection. Just ask God to bring those relationships to mind and ask him for his forgiveness And thank him for the value that Christ's cross gives to you. Thank him for how he made you. Thank him for the plans he has for you. Second, when you get home, let me just encourage you, make a list of five relationships in which you are prone to comparison or rejection and assign a day of the week to each person. Monday through Friday, just assign a day to each name. And then number three, every day this week, for the next five days, pray for one person each day. Pray God's blessing in their lives. And then shoot that person a text of encouragement, celebrating how God has wired them and how God is using them. And then I'll close this morning simply by pointing you to Jesus, who is the greater David. Just as David rose to fame in Israel, so did Jesus. Just as Saul sought to thwart God's will for David's life, the Pharisees and Sadducees sought to thwart God's will for Jesus' life. Roman soldiers actually put Jesus to death. Saul tried to kill David and was unsuccessful. Roman soldiers sought to kill David. Jesus and succeeded in doing it. But just as David went out and came in victorious in battle, Jesus Christ went out from heaven and came to earth, going to battle against Satan, sin, and death, and he returned to heaven victorious as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the true king. He's the true king. And so you just need to understand you're going to respond to Jesus Christ like Saul or like Jonathan. How are you responding to Jesus? Jonathan responded to David by stripping himself of the throne because he realized it wasn't his in the first place. Have you come to a place where you've realized, you know what? You ruling and reigning in your life isn't an option. If Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, then the only position to be in before God is in a position of surrender where you say, Jesus Christ, you can be King of my life. But what did Saul do? He rejected David as King. He sought to cling to the throne as if he could even hold on to it in the first place. And some of us, we just cling to our lives like We buy into some mirage of life where we believe that we can still be in control, that we can be in charge. And you just need to know either sin's going to rule in your life or Jesus is going to rule in your life. But you ruling in your life, that's just not even an option. And so let me just invite you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, then the best place to be is in a place of surrender where you say, Jesus Christ, you can rule in my life. I celebrate what you accomplished on the cross 
and I want that, your death, burial, and resurrection to have everything to do with me. If you don't know Jesus in a personal way, the invitation for you this morning is to come. And if you already know him, it's to sit and surrender to him and his will for your life, walking in celebration of what he's doing in your life as well in the lives of others. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, um, we need passages like this in your word, which just inform how we respond to other people in our lives. And so I pray for my friends in this room, just that as we all go throughout our weeks and we observe what you're doing in other people's lives, Lord, I pray that you guard us from comparison or rejection. I pray that you would breathe new life into us, that we would, we would be uh, confident that there would be a resounding yes in our lives to your will, in our lives and in the lives of others. That's what celebration really is. It's a, it's a resounding yes to your will for our lives and the lives of others. So may we just say yes to what you have for us, what you have for others this week. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.